today I'm talking with Charles Best, who runs an organization called Donors Choose. Um, I think a lot of you, some of you will have heard of this, the social media guys will have heard of this, and then the um, none of the affiliate marketing guys will have heard of it, and it's a pretty interesting concept. Um, Charles, maybe you can take it away and tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Yeah, hey, just, well, just quickly, uh, donorschoose.org is a website where public school teachers post classroom project requests, and then donors can come and choose the classroom project that they want to support. Uh, and not only do they get to pick where their money's going to go, but then they get to see the impact of their donation in the form of photographs, student thank you letters, a teacher results letter from the classroom that they chose to support. And it's a website which grew out of uh, a high school in the Bronx where I was a history teacher for five years. Now, you sound like you've been, like, pitching to venture capitalists your whole life. Like, how long have you practiced your elevator pitch? <laughs> been learning as I go. But, uh, definitely, you, we began in uh, the spring of 2000, and for our first few years, we, we operated out of my classroom. My students were our staff members, and suffice to say, I, uh, I did not um, even know what an elevator pitch was. In fact, um, I, I only wrote a business plan for the organization when – I had to teach my students how to write a business plan, and I had no idea how to do that, and I, I kind of crammed the night before having to teach this lesson to my students, um, and that taught me how to write a business plan. I, I, I then imparted that knowledge to my students, hopefully successfully, and uh, and then only a few days later, I was like, all right, well, now I know what a business plan is. Maybe I ought to write one for this little experiment of a, of a charity website growing out of my classroom. So, um, so you were a history teacher. Like, what kind of history? I taught American history and world history. Hmm. So you can tell me about the history of Australia, huh? <laughs> I might fail in that regard, but I I, uh, I did teach one um, course. I was given real sort of a creative liberty, and and I taught one class on the. Um, uh, uh, non-African, non-Hispanic peoples of uh, the Caribbean and South America, which might have been uh, of interest to you. So, you know, the, the, the great many people of Indian descent in, in Trinidad and Guyana and the, the uh, uh, Lebanese and, and Arab diaspora in Latin America. And that, so that was kind of a fun course. Oh, yeah, there's actually a bunch of Arabs here in the DR. It's pretty, it's pretty interesting. Oh, yeah, everywhere. I mean, if you think about it, if you think of Shakira, Salma Hayek, and Carlos Slim as, as kind of the leaders in, uh, in their respective fields, and think, I, th I think all three of them have, uh, have Arab roots or Lebanese roots. You know, there's actually a word in Spanish, uh, ojalá. Have you heard that word? Oh, for sure, and, and I know. I think we have the, the Moors to thank for that back in Spain, right? It, but isn't, ojalá, isn't that a word that comes from Arabic originally? Exactly, 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 yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, you, you do get these odd things, and uh, we need to get back on the interview, but just one other interesting thing that I've noticed here. There's a town in the middle of the Dominican Republic called Constanza. Um, it's a town of, I don't know, maybe twenty or 30,000 people, and uh -huh. it's kind of well-known for being cold. And uh -huh. um, the, the people there, they look a little bit more Asian, and it turns out that in the, something like the 30s, a big settlement came over from Japan and just settled there. And so wow. There's this like Asian mix like right in the middle of, of Dominican Caribbean stuff, which is pretty Yeah, cool. there you go. There you go. Anyway, um, so you, you you were a history teacher for how long? For five years. All right. What did you do before that? Uh, I, I graduated from college and I spent a year in Latin America. My, my primary goal was to learn Spanish so that when I was then teaching, if I had any uh, students whose parents 
primarily spoke Spanish, I could I could still get those students in trouble by being able to talk to their parents <laughs> in their own language. Um, and bueno, hace mucho tiempo que hablo español, pero hablo más o menos bien. Good job. So um, and then um, and then Donors Choose came along. Can you maybe tell us how that started and what what kind of hatched the idea? Yeah, for sure. So it was my first year of teaching, and I found my colleagues and I having the same conversation over and over again in the teachers' lunchroom uh, about um, books that we wanted our students to read and uh, art supplies we needed for an art project and microscopes we needed for a science experiment, a field trip we knew would really bring the subject matter to life, and none of these ideas would go past the teachers' lunchroom um uh because there was no source of funding and and we teachers would go into our own pockets to buy basic stuff like copy paper and pencils but for the most part we saw our kids going without the materials and experiences they needed to learn and we teachers had a tough time innovating um so that that was the that was the the repeated conversation which spawned donorschoose.org uh because at the same time that my colleagues and I were griping about that state of affairs, I figured that there were people from all walks of life who wanted to help improve our public schools, but were just getting more and more skeptical about writing, you know, a hundred dollar check to uh, a big institution and not knowing how the heck their money was spent. And I figured if we could, if we could enable anybody to be a philanthropist, if, if, if we could create almost a philanthropic eBay where somebody with $10 could pick a project that really spoke to them and see exactly how their money was being spent and hear back from the people they chose to help, well, then my colleagues and I would be able to get our students those books and, and take them on that field trip. Um, I did an interview with Sarah from Tomato Nation, and she said that one of the things that's really motivated her community to fundraise for you was um, the, uh, George Bush and the, the political situation. That's right. That's right. I think, I think um, she 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 really she first engaged her readers with our website when uh, when they were uh, the day after they were getting over um, Bush defeating Kerry in the 2004 election and and they wanted to do something uh, that would sort of both express their their anxiety but also um, uh, their resolve and and I think it was a a, a class set of. George Orwell's 1984, which they funded as a community, both to uh, express where they thought the world was headed and to to do something uh, good for people. Hmm. And so, um, and so, you started Donors Choose what four or five years ago? I, it would now be nine years ago in the spring of 2000 when I started DonorsChoose.org. But um, it, it, our first few years, we were operating out of my classroom with my students as our staff members. It, um, it was in 2003 that uh, Oprah Winfrey did uh, just a, a phenomenal story about our site. You uh, I have, yeah. Um, and and that, uh, that story um, uh, prompted uh, the first inquiries from other parts of the country about DonorsChoose.org expanding. Um, uh, until 2003, 2004, um, our site was only open to public schools in New York City, uh, and and so it was in in '04 that we began to expand to other states and other cities, and and only two years ago that we opened our website to every public school in America. How um how did Oprah find you? 
It was, I believe, a um, a piece by Jonathan Alter of Newsweek, who was the very first uh, journalist to um, to uh, uh, to break the story of DonorsChoose.org. I, I cold called him during my lunch hour uh, while teaching, and uh, unlike all the other reporters, he did not hang up the phone on me. And uh, he, uh, he, we spent you know an hour on the phone, and, and he wrote a column saying that he thought one day DonorsChoose.org would, would change the face of philanthropy. Hmm. And uh, so did your website crash when you went on Oprah? Completely melted down. Um, we, uh, we we did get back up in about an hour's time, which was a little quicker than than some other sites. But um, for it, that hour was just horribly painful, thinking about all these people, uh, all these would-be donors hitting our site and, and being unable to 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 make donations and, and help kids in public schools. That that was a, that was a tough hour, but but an exciting one, I guess, at the same time. Um, and can you talk about like how much you brought in when that uh, when that happened on Oprah? Yeah, for sure. It was uh, it was a, a quarter million dollars in donations from citizen philanthropists that we that we took in in, in just a few days following uh, Oprah's profile of our um, kind of nascent uh, philanthropy. Hmm. That's interesting. So that's an organization that then was really rather small. And you can, we, get, we can like actually get a, a monetary value on being on Oprah. So if, if in your case it was worth two hundred fifty thousand dollars, that's exactly when you had a baseline of donations as small as we did. It's very easy to isolate the, the impact of a, of a, a, a highlight like like that from Oprah. That's, a, that's an interesting statistic. I wonder what it's worth for for an actual business. Yeah, I, it, uh, I think some some extremely large. Some, because <laughs> um, of course the the even greater value of Oprah's story was was um, uh, was the national expansion that it got the ball rolling toward. Yeah, right. Yeah. <coughs> um, can you talk about how big you are today? Like annual revenues, things like that. Like how the how the financials work. I mean, is this, I assume by now this is your full time thing, and you have a team and. Um, that's right. That's right. As for for the last four years, I've been doing DonorsChoose.org full time. I have uh, 52 colleagues, and um, as of today, and, and actually any member of the public can see our impact up to the day. If you go to DonorsChoose.org/impact, and if you went to that uh, page, you'd see that. Um, more than $40 million has been contributed to classroom project requests on our site by um, about 160,000 citizen philanthropists all across the country and in a few other uh, uh, countries as well. And it's, um, it's 115,000 teachers in public schools, overwhelmingly in low-income communities, who have posted project requests on our site and, uh, and 105,000 projects that have that have come to life through our site uh, for 2.7 million students. Hmm. And what would be what are your annual like? What's your annual turnover now? This school year, uh, um, we're projecting at least 23 million dollars in classroom project funding. Oh, so your growth is like ex- totally exponential. It, it's it is it's um it's 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 pretty close to a hockey stick if you uh, if you do check out our our growth curve. Wow! Congratulations, that's impressive. Thank you, thank you. 
So um, now you're going to like turn this into eBay and uh, and then um, be re- retire off in your Caribbean island that you bought. <laughs> I, I, I'm still still uh, st- can only um, strive for 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 what you've pulled off. But uh, no, we you know we're we're a public charity, so our. Um, uh, we, we do, although we're a charity, we do have a business model for achieving sustainability, our equivalent to profitability. Uh, and that's based on the option that every donor has when they're supporting a classroom project to dedicate 18% of their gift to DonorsChoose.org operating expenses. More than 90% of donors choose to dedicate uh, 18% of their gift toward our operating expenses. Uh, and and Operating income thus generated makes DonorsChoose.org more and more self-funding. Um, and when we get to about 40 to $50 million a year in classroom project funding, donors' inclusion of that optional operating gift will cover 100% of our operating expenses. And as a, and as a, as a, uh, a company, if you will, we will have broken even. Um, and, of course, at that point, we won't be generating uh, profit, but we'll have, we'll have become that that rare um, uh, 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 species of, a, of, a, of an entirely self-sustaining nonprofit organization. Hmm. There actually could be, I mean, that actually could turn, in, uh, that could turn into a business model. Like I could see companies starting to do like giving to the community and then be totally funded by that because I guess you do it as an upsell on the, after the person's done the donation, right? You know, his, thanks for your money. Would you like to contribute a percentage to this? And it's therefore kind of like an upsell. Essentially, that, that's exactly right. It's an opt-out upsell, uh, but it's very, it's very uh, clear and easy to opt out. Uh, but, uh, but only less than 10% of, of donors uh, do that. And uh, it's, it's, uh, the lesson seems to be that if you're optional and transparent, then donors really want to help you out with your operating expenses. Yeah, right. And you have a team of 53 people. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. 50, 52, that's right. Um, so you've gone from being a history teacher to, to running a pretty decent-sized team. Were you expecting that? I was not at all expecting that. <laughs> um, and uh, what's what's most kind of surprising and and thrilling is is not the size of the team, but the caliber of the team. Um, to give you just a, a couple profiles of of colleagues of mine. Um, our CFO was the CFO of two public companies before joining our little charity. He's a, a early 50s uh, Harvard MBA who uh, most recently was uh, the CFO of Audible, um, uh, and, and he was the CFO and board member of, of that company, helped take them public, uh, and, and was with them for six years, and then announced on, on uh, the Audible quarterly uh, earnings call that um, their, the CFO would be leaving to join this little charity that nobody had heard of. And um, our, our CTO was was uh, a rising star at Microsoft before um, joining our, our organization, um, and, and he's just incredible. He, he's a meta CTO, in the words of our of our board chairman. And uh, and one final example profile: our head of operations is a guy who got his mechanical engineering degrees from Caltech and MIT, did his master's thesis on lean manufacturing practices at Toyota. Uh, got his MBA from Wharton, did 18 years at AT&T, and uh, is now applying uh, the lean manufacturing practices of Toyota to the DonorsChoose.org uh, operation. 
Well, I'll be expecting you guys to go public soon anyway, even though I'm sure you're a 5013C, right? <laughs> that's right. That's right. We we are we are a charity. That's so actually, who does who who owns the organization? Um, I I I, I guess the, the public owns the organization insofar as we're we're a public charity. The board of directors is is the group that that I report to. Um, and uh, I think I'd have to point to the board of directors, who of course don't hold shares or and, and don't have any financial equity, but but they are the the uh, ultimate authority, and and they exercise that authority um, in the best interests of the the students and teachers we serve. Right. And so um, my understanding of the way the process works is um, someone like a, a, someone reading this interview now can go to the site, they can make a donation. Um, they can choose to support or not support you, and nine out of ten of them will. Um, the money then comes in. You guys then um, buy what is needed and then ship that directly to the teacher. Is that correct? That's exactly right, and, and I appreciate your knowing that up front. Although um, it's, a, it's, it's straightforward to compare DonorsChute.org to eBay or to Craigslist, um, our, our back office operation is, is more akin, at least aspirationally, to that of Netflix or Amazon. Um, you identified pillar number two of our operating model. Pillar number one is that we vet and validate each teacher's project request before posting it to the public site. Uh, then, as you said, we fulfill the project for the teacher and, and don't give the teacher cash. And finally, we provide this platform for teachers to um, publish photographs of the project taking place. Um, to They publish an initial thank you note when the project's funded and then a results letter when the project is completed. And finally, um, we give them the, the means by which to mail in um, student thank you letters uh, addressed to all the donors who give $100 or more. Um, so a donor giving only $1 to a project at DonorsChoose.org uh, still gets a thank you note from the teacher addressed to them, a results letter, photographs of their project taking place, and a cost report showing how every dollar on the project was spent. And then donors who give $100 or more also get uh, this physical package of student thank you letters. Oh, really? I think I gave $100 and, uh, about two months ago, so I'll get something in the mail, will I? Yeah, that's exactly right. It, uh, uh, probably kind of three, on average, three, three and a half months after uh, the project has been fully funded. Hmm. And so the guy that gave a dollar, then he, he gets all of that information sent to his email, right? That's exactly right. The guy who gives a dollar gets all the feedback, which is digital, and, and that's actually everything, the photos, the teacher thank you note, thank you letter, uh, everything except for the, the student thank you letters, which we thought would lose a lot if we digitized them. They're, they're handwritten. There are collages, yarn, paint, etc. cetera. Um, so we, we decided to keep that old-school analog. Hmm. Um, one thing, <coughs> when I, I went through and analyzed some of the numbers uh, of donations, like um, – I was comparing because um, I think I think Sarah is excellent. Like her blog doesn't have a lot of traffic, and they just like kick everybody's butt, including that's like, right. The that's right. That's right. It's just, it's just astounding. It um, is. That her average donation was three hundred and thirty dollars. Fred' aver average donation was something like one hundred and seventy-eight dollars, and it made me feel a little bit like a loser because I only gave a hundred dollars. Like, how are your average donations when people do this? 
you were you were not a loser at all when you gave a hundred dollars. That was actually twenty more than the average donation, which is eighty dollars. Um, and uh, I think that uh, Sarah Bunting's average donation size, and maybe even Fred Wilson's, may be helped by some um, large gifts uh, that that in Sarah's case uh, she got from HP and from I think even an anonymous donor or two. Um, my my guess is that the um, uh, Blog reader, uh, a true consumer, uh, blog reader of Sarah's is, average donation is probably a hundred dollars. Oh, okay. And so then, and then it's okay. And it's, so actually, this is one of the things that came up in Sarah's interview. Maybe you can comment on it. She said that mm-hmm. one of her, um, she has a big donor that um, gave a ton of money that's from Norway. Um, and it's 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 interesting that someone in Norway would be interested in U.S. public education. Do you do you see that sort of stuff a lot? I mean, that's maybe the sort of thing that happens with in in with with the internet. Yeah, it's uh, that Norwegian donor is um, is a little bit of an outlier, but um, but but that's not. Uh, I, I don't think a month goes by that someone in another country takes a, a big interest in our site um, and we're not we're not even built very well for donations from outside the United States but I think there is something just really um, appealing about the giving experience at donorschoose.org it's, it really is this one place where um, with with a dollar or ten dollars you can um, find a project that really speaks to you and, and there are uh, 20,000 live classroom project requests on our site at any given moment, and that means that somebody can express a really personal area of interest and find projects that match that interest. Um, so you, you could you could search for keyword horseback riding, and you'll find a number of projects uh, centering on therapeutic horseback riding for disabled students. You could type in yoga and see a whole range of um, teachers who who need yoga resources to to teach their students yoga, um, and and I think that ability to ex- to to express a personal passion and find a project that matches that passion and then to see exactly how your money is being spent and to hear back from the people you helped in this really vivid, tangible way, that maybe kind of crosses borders. Um, uh, and so we are able to attract the occasional donation from, from people like this guy in Norway. When I, when I gave my money, because I, um, I was at, um, we, we met at, the, at Fred's event in New York and I was talking yeah. with uh, one of the teachers there, and um, she she was asking me about well, what projects did you give the money to? And I didn't know because I just went on and gave a hundred dollars to spread yep. to. Um, <laughs> and she, but she got kind of upset about that and like wanted me to be going in and picking out the right project. I I didn't because I didn't really know what to do. Like, what percentage of your people go in and just like give money, and what percentage actually go through and pick out projects? The, what's interesting about the social media challenge, it's, it's, a, um, it's, it's actually a challenge for us. The social media challenge attracts a, a, an incredible number of donors, um, but donors whose primary loyalty is to the blogger or the Twitterer who just asked them to go donate. Um, and in those instances, uh, many of those donors are, are just looking to make a gift as, as quickly as they can because they want to they wanna help out the, the blogger who asked them to. And, and as in your example, they're not necessarily picking an individual classroom project which really inspires them. That is definitely the, the minority 
scenario. Um, it's, it's the majority scenario in the social media challenge, but um, net net, it's it's uh, it's it's, a, it's probably even a small proportion of uh, of our of our donors who are not uh, picking an individual project. Um, and so we actually have this challenge with with the the social media challenge where um, we have a tough time getting those donors to become ongoing donorschoose.org contributors. They'll give again in a year when their favorite blogger asks them to, but in the interim, we have a tough time getting them to um, uh, develop some loyalty toward toward our site or, or specifically toward the classroom projects on our site. Mm. I mean, that's a, that's a classic sales sort of issue. And because uh, one of the things that is interesting to me about what you're, you're telling me is because um, I've received the follow-up and um, I received there was an online note from the teacher and some stuff that I guess that my $100 helped fund. Yeah. Um, but if you're sending out, like, if I'm going to get some kids' letters and stuff like that, like, you know, that's going to make me all, like, happy and stuff, um, I would imagine you doing that sort of thing is going to help build relationships with everyone and therefore you, that, would, that would help explain the exponential hockey stick type growth or does it not? I think we, we'd like to think that it does explain our, our growth rate. It's just that uh, social media uh, challenge donors like yourself are, are especially tough to convert into ongoing donors. But let's see if those student thank you letters don't do the trick. Hmm. So now, now, now you're like making me feel guilty and I've, I've got to come back. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Sadly, it's not scalable to do uh, an, an hour interview with, with each of these donors to try and guilt them into becoming ongoing donors. <laughs> but you would if you could. Right. Um, so does this, I mean, where does this go for you? This is, is this your, your full-time thing that you're going to do for the next 30 years? Like, what are your, what are your intentions with what you're doing? I mean, I'm, I'm having even more of a blast now than, than a few years ago. My, my learning curve is steeper. Um, uh, so, I, yeah, I'm, I'm just having an incredible time. I have, there, there's nothing um, right now that I, that, that I want to be doing that I'm not able to do at DonorsChoose.org. Um, yeah, and I, I haven't thought much about sort of what, what, what lies beyond because um, there's so much more for us to do here. Um, uh, and as, as one, um, one thing that we alluded to earlier, this, this school year, uh, a majority of DonorsChoose.org's operating expenses will be covered by donors' in, uh, uh, inclusion of that optional operating gift. But we are still a good distance from break-even, um, and uh, that, that's one milestone um, I'm, I'm just really excited for us to hit. So, so you mentioned uh, that, like, I mean, in, in when you were getting started and you and you weren't anywhere near break even, like, how did you fund? How did you be funded? By um, by still living with my parents after graduating college, and and then not having any rent to pay, and then being able to dedicate some of my teacher's salary to um, to donorschoose.org and, and getting it off the ground. Um, and then, of course, uh, after after a year or two of that, um, uh, we had a, a number of uh, funders. Goldman Sachs Foundation was one of the very first um, supporters. They made kind of an angel investment in our charity, which um, enabled us to move out of, uh, out of my classroom in the Bronx and into a real one-room closet of an office and, and to build a real website. And, uh, and, and two and a half years ago, uh, a group of Silicon Valley leaders, um, uh, the Omidyar Network, created by uh, Pierre and Pam Omidyar of, of eBay fame, um, uh, uh, David and Angela Philo of, uh, the, um, of Yahoo fame, 
uh, Vinod Kosla, uh, Reed Hastings, the founder of Netflix, um, Fred Wilson and Brad Burnham at Union Square Ventures. Um, uh, they, they formed this group to uh, provide us with what we referred to as a round of funding. It, it was, a, it was um, charitable funding, but it was um, structured on some of the same principles as a venture investment. These, these Silicon Valley, Valley leaders had two expectations of DonorsChoose.org, almost conditions of the funding. One was that we would go national and open our site to every public school in America. And the second was that we get to our break-even point. Um, And uh, so the the gap uh, between what our our donors um, give to us through that optional operating gift, uh, between that and our actual operating expenses is covered by this uh, this one-time infusion of operating capital from these Silicon Valley leaders. Hmm. Is that what we, were you working towards break-even by that point, or did those guys were they were they the ones that gave you the impetus to move move towards it more quickly? We were from from the get-go from from year one of DonorsChoose.org, we had this model of. Um, letting donors choose whether or not they wanted to support our operating expenses. Um, but as an organization which was open only in a handful of cities and a handful of states until two and a half years ago, we, um, we, we had no hope of achieving the scale necessary uh, for break-even. When we went national, uh, we, we now have the potential to see so many classroom projects funded that donors' inclusion of the optional operating gift does cover all of our operating expenses, and, and we're on a pretty clear path uh, to break even. Mm. Um, and will you go international? We are. Uh, we actually have a, uh, a board meeting, a board retreat this February where we're going to um, think about all the um, expansion possibilities, which range from um, expanding to uh, private schools as well as public schools, to um, expanding the the model itself so that um, teachers could request volunteer needs as well as cash needs, to expanding the the program to other verticals or other sectors within the United States, such as social workers or police officers, to expanding the model to schools in other countries. Um, so there, there are just a huge range of possibilities. Um, our our strategy thus far and and and. My guess is our strategy for, for at least the next year is to uh, remain laser-focused on proving our core program of serving public school kids in the United States, namely those from low-income families, um, and that we would not um, uh, look to extend the model until uh, break-even was around the corner, if, if, we, if, we, if we choose even to extend the the model. So it, it, thus far, and I, I think for the next year, um, we're erring on the side of focus uh, um, and, and, and really nailing it before before we look further afield. I guess that's a, it's an interesting issue because you you really have a, a lot in common with a, a startup and the way you've you've grown things. Um, and so once you do get to that break-even point, like then you then you go to expansion, but then you're not expanding based around monetary goals. You're expanding based around human or like social goals, and that's right. it could be very easy for you to become unfocused. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. But I guess having, if, you're, if you've got guys like these Silicon Valley guys you mentioned advising you, um, they're probably not going to let you do that too easily. <laughs> that's exactly right. I have, uh, I have both uh, uh, incredible uh, board members uh, as well as uh, incredible colleagues. Um, 
Yeah, our, our board is, is really fun. Fred Wilson is on our board, whom you know, and um, just to give you a flavor for some of the other folks, Stephen Colbert of, of the Colbert Report and uh, Bill Bradley, the uh, former senator and presidential candidate, uh, Jeff Weiner, the CEO of LinkedIn. Uh, they give you uh, kind of a, a flavor for, for the caliber of, of folks on our board. Why, why have you gotten so much support from these sorts of people? Um, well, we've been we've been fortunate with uh, media coverage, which which inspires uh, you know a good number of thought leaders to check out our website. And and when those people do check out our site, I think they are inspired by the classroom projects that they see on our site, and 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 really inspired by the the dedication and the imagination and the commitment of the teachers who use our site. That, that Our website is really a showcase of just how innovative and caring our most dedicated teachers are. Um, and, and, yeah, that, that, that commitment and that humanity, I think, uh, uh, inspires a lot of people to want to wanna really get engaged with our organization. <laughs> and, it's, I mean, it's a model that may well be either scalable or maybe other organizations should be copying you and doing it in other areas, too. That, that, I, I think that's right, and, and we we have an, a, a number of peer organizations, a couple, one or two of which even started a few months before DonorsChoose.org, um, which you might also describe as uh, philanthropic marketplaces. Um, Kiva uh, comes comes immediately to mind, um, as does uh, as does Global Giving, um, and then there are even a couple uh, for profits uh, such as Kickstarter. Um, where uh, which which are also based on a kind of a, a marketplace of of good deeds. Hmm. Um, one of the things with what you're doing um, with uh, helping the, the, the teachers out and funding all these projects, um, it's obviously it's there's a, there's, there's a good thing to that. But isn't this stuff that uh, state governments should be funding? Like, are we then effectively subsidising state governments and they can sit back and say, well? We won't bother buying new computers for the classroom because, you know, these donors choose guys, they'll just take care of it for us and instead we'll spend the money on, you know, private private planes or something like that that we need. Yeah, right. You are absolutely right to ask that question. We see the opposite dynamic taking place. Um, half the project requests on our site go beyond what you would expect the taxpayer to support. Uh, a field trip to Washington, D.C. to see the Supreme Court uh, consider a case. Um, uh, uh, a, um, a pet hedgehog, uh, therapeutic horseback riding for disabled students, etc. cetera. Um, half the projects on our site do make the reader say, damn, I can't believe there's uh, a classroom that doesn't have dictionaries or, or an art teacher who's being asked to teach without fundamental art supplies. And that's exactly the reaction we want to elicit in our website visitors and, and donors. Um, 60% of our donors say that their experience at DonorsChoose.org has made them more interested in systemic reform um, and uh, more committed to getting government to do a better job. Uh, I think the reason is that um, the, the donors who come to our site, 70% of them have never before made a donation to public schools. Uh, and for them, this is often their, their first encounter with what's really going on in public schools in low-income communities. And they're, they're um, 
they're having this encounter in a really vivid, personal way. They're not reading a statistic in a newspaper article, which is probably unlikely to get you out of your chair demanding reform. They are, they are connecting to a particular group of students with whom they feel they now have a relationship. Um, they see the personalities of, of some of those students and the teacher. They, they think about them when they're going into the voting booth. Uh, and, and far from saying, all right, I just provided the class set of dictionaries. The state government no longer needs to do a better job. They actually they feel like they now have a personal connection to, a responsibility toward, an awareness of the, this classroom and, and what's going on in, in other classrooms in low-income communities, and, and that energizes them politically and, and, and makes them more likely to, to become civic <laughs> actors. Um, so actually 22% of our donors said that their experience on our site made them more likely to even vote in an election or in an education budget referendum. I get what you're saying, but on the, on the other hand, I mean, tw- $20 million in revenue this year, hockey stick growth, so a couple of years you're, you're doing $100 million a year. Um, at that point, I mean, lazy local politicians uh, who are facing budget cuts in different areas will be able to look at it and say, well, you know, let's let that go. Or, or, or are you saying that because the constituents then are going to see that where all of these shortfalls are, that they might want to be careful with that because then it's going to, if they do that too much, it's going to get them voted out of office? That's exactly right. I'll give you one example. Um, in Chicago, a school principal threatened to fire a teacher for putting a project request up on DonorsChoose.org. And the reason was that the, the reason was that this teacher's project request was although it was totally positive about the school and the environment, um, just by virtue of requesting a class set of dictionaries, this teacher was revealing that the school didn't have dictionaries. And that was incredibly embarrassing for the school principal, so much so that he told the teacher to, to stop using our site at, at risk of, of losing her job. Um, and uh, so, so I, uh, I really, I think that DonorsChoose.org is a way for teachers to go public with unmet student needs. Um, which more often uh, school system leaders would would rather kind of uh, paper over and hide from public view. Hmm. That's really powerful. We 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 you know fresh air and uh, and transparency usually means only good things and 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 uh, we 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 think this that um, donorsuits.org will, will be another example of that. <coughs> and so. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe. Uh, I mean, have you thought about this as a goal for the organization? Is to is to make the organization uh, not relevant, right? So you could absolutely you could say we're done with schools, and now we're going on to some other area like police or fire brigades or something like that. Absolutely, we would love to kind of expose and prod the broader system into putting us out of business, at least on the currently 50% of classroom projects which are for um, essential materials that the system ought to be providing. Uh, I think there would be a continued role for DonorsChoose.org in um, in innovation where a teacher who has a really experimental uh, project idea, um, you know, a, a way of teaching that might go beyond the typical curriculum, a field trip that will bring learning to life, uh, and, and any project which involves resources or ideas that go beyond 
the standard mandated curriculum, um, where, where private philanthropy really is the appropriate way to, to, to fund innovation and to, and to experiment. I, I think there would be a continued role there, but we'd certainly like to be put out of business on, the, on all the projects on our site, which are for essential resources. Well, maybe not completely out of business, but at a very low level, and so that it's still there as kind of a watchdog. But is yeah, I think I think you actually just said it much 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 better. Yeah, we'll, we'll plagiarize your your phrasing of it. <laughs> that's that's interesting. Um, okay, so there's another area I've got to ask is um, now you mentioned Kiva, um, mm. good organization, and I've I've um, played around with them a little bit as well. And I'm actually um, my one of my hobbies is photography, and so I'm actually going to go and do a photo shoot in about two weeks of um, the Kiva donation process from the side in the Dominican Republic. Oh, that's so awesome! I'll be able to post like you know my pictures that are like you know what I'm seeing happening, and from my perspective of living here, and so um, hopefully that can you know be interesting for them. Um, and I'm actually going to do the same with Donors Choose. Um, I, the teacher that I met and, uh, in New York, I'm going to go and uh, do that with her as well. So oh, that's so cool. Get some, some interesting outside perspective photos from a, an independent guy. Um, yeah. But here in the DR, so Kiva um, has been doing quite well. Um, but here in the DR, um, there was a fraud um, of their major local partner, um, they have two, and this one, the biggest one, uh, now shut down, and they they were doing something like $500,000. They'd done something like $500,000 in donations, of which that of something like 250 to 300,000 of that has been has just vanished. It yeah. seems like what happened was that um, one of the uh, some of the it wasn't the guys that were running the organization. Um, it was some employees that had somehow managed to steal the money. And mm. I don't know. I don't know what the outcome is, um, but it's it's looking like quite a bit of a mess. Um, how do you handle fraud? Because you're at 20 million now. You, you know, you, you may well get to 100. Um, that's a lot of money. And I mean, the teachers know that there's a lot of stuff coming in, and the teachers own the stuff, right? It's not for the schools. It's the, the, te- the one of the teachers told me, like, it's it's my stuff, and if I go to another school, I'm I'm taking all these headsets. Or, you know, I'm taking all these recorders or whatever else that they've been given. Um, I don't think it's a matter of you, you're not going to have fraud because you're going to have to because you're dealing with a lot of money. Um, how, how, how do you deal with that? There are, co- there are a couple major measures we take which um, where, in one sense, we're, we're lucky because we operate in a developed country where the recipients of funding are um, – have internet access and are daily users of email uh, because the vendors that we use can correspond with us electronically. We're able to do a whole range of things to guarantee the integrity of the the donor-beneficiary exchange, which organizations operating in the developing world just can't do. Um, So so as one primary example, we we took um, a massive temptation for fraud out of the equation by purchasing the resources ourselves and fulfilling the actual project and not giving the teacher any cash. Um, that, that goes a, a, a really long way to even eliminating the, the possibility for fraud because a classroom library, you know, can only be sold for so much on the black market, um, even if, even if somebody... But it's stuff of a lot of value they're getting. I mean, you know, uh, lots of electronic equipment and things like that that, okay, they maybe they, they they have to get the actual stuff rather than cash, but, you know, there's eBay and Craigslist and stuff so that you can move things pretty quickly. Absolutely, absolutely. And um, 
I'll mention a couple other uh, measures that we take. When a project is um, funded and we proceed to purchase the resources, and of course we have the resources shipped to a school address that has been verified by the federal government, we do not ship. A teacher cannot input an address which they claim is their school, but which might really be their home address. The resources are shipped to the school. And at the same time that we do that, our system electronically, automatically sends a fax to the school principal telling them that, uh, congratulating them that their, uh, a teacher at their school has just been funded and, and listing the resources that are about to arrive. So now there's one person, the teacher's boss, who's aware of what's arriving and, and who is likely to check up on the proper use of those materials. We also email two or three randomly selected teacher users at that same school, um, congratulating them on their colleagues' success. And of course, one function that that notification performs is that there are um, two or three uh, peer teachers at the school randomly selected who also know exactly right, what like, materials have there, just been. Is there been. anything that I'm going to be able to ask you that you're not going to be able to give me a really good answer for? No, <laughs> no, 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 no. Well, I, to, well to your point, we, we actually had what we thought after 106,000 classroom projects funded on our site, we thought we had the very first instance of fraud. Um, Thankfully, it was in New York City, so our head of operations and his colleague, our head of customer service, went out to the school uh, and investigated, and it was um, a printer and a laptop, which, um, thanks to our system of emailing um, two or three randomly selected other teachers at the school, those one or two of those teachers um, sent us an email saying, hey, you had alerted me that my colleague, we'll call them Mr. Smith, had just gotten funding for a laptop, and I don't see that laptop in his classroom. You know, I'm, I'm giving you a, a, a red flag on this. So thanks to that system, we were alerted by the teacher's colleagues. We went in and investigated, and it was crystal clear that this was an incredibly dedicated teacher who um, was simply doing some lesson planning from home and uh, needed to needed to be able to work from home home as well as in the school. The principal verified this. Um, if anything, the, the investigation of what seemed like our first instance of fraud uh, illustrated, it was sort of the exception that proves the rule that this clearly was a teacher who had taken the laptop home, um, but who also was very clearly using it at home to do school work. Um, it was not a teacher who had like a hobby on the, when they were printing stuff um, at home, it was clearly entirely for, for their lesson plans. When you when you start up at a new school, how do you get new teachers' emails and president's con uh, the, the um, principal's contact information, that kind of stuff? Principals, um, at, uh, we contact info we have automatically through this uh, database of public schools and contact information verified by the federal government. So no matter what, we are able to send uh, a fax addressed to the school principal, alerting them to the resources that have arrived. Teachers' email addresses, we don't have naturally, but we do get um, thanks to teachers registering at DonorsChoose.org. Um, so in, in um, a, a huge number of instances, if not the majority of instances, there is at least one, if not two or three, other DonorsChoose.org users at the school, and those are the folks whom we email. You're right, though, that, that in, in even a large portion of instances, it's just the principal whose contact information we have, but that's the most important person to alert to incoming materials. 
Uh, and of course, when the te- if, the, if ever a teacher um, doesn't post photographs of the project taking place, we follow up very rigorously. And uh, of course, it's it's tough to uh, to stage a photo shoot of kids using the materials, and, and tough to persuade kids to all write thank you letters to a donor if the project didn't actually take place. Yeah, right. Hmm. That makes sense. Um, okay, is there anything that we haven't talked about which you want to talk about? I think um, I think we we are covering it. Maybe just to tie together both Kiva and DonorsChoose.org and to kind of um, re-illustrate the ability for someone to express a personal passion at our site. Um, I'll, I'll share this um, this one final anecdote about what happened when a writer for Fortune Magazine was doing a story on Kiva and DonorsChoose.org as the two websites which Fortune Magazine thought were going to change the face of philanthropy. And um, this writer, when he and I were done talking, said that um, his personal passion was saving the salmon in the Pacific Northwest. And um, and that was what he cared about, and and it was therefore, you know, maybe unlikely that he'd be giving a lot of money at DonorsChoose.org because education wasn't wasn't his passion as much as saving the salmon. And uh, before he left the room, just for the heck of it, I did a keyword search for salmon on DonorsChoose.org, and up came five classroom project requests, all relating to salmon in the Northwest. The, the second result was an Oregon high school teacher who had created a salmon hatchery in the river flowing by his school, and he needed hip waders for his students to go in the river and maintain the hatchery. And um, the, the top result was a teacher on an island off of Alaska teaching in a one-room schoolhouse whose students are Native Alaskans and who had um, recorded their parents' folktales about salmon and done research on salmon. And, and uh, to share that work with the outside world, they needed a printer and a scanner. So this, this writer who had initially thought that DonorsChoose.org wouldn't be his, his personal passion realized that you know, his cause of saving the salmon in the Pacific Northwest absolutely could be expressed through our platform. And I think he he wound up donating to the, the Oregon high school teacher's um, salmon project. Uh, so anyway, that, that, that's me, just... me, I could donate. It would be easy for me to donate to, like, Dominican kids or... Oh, my gosh. If you type in keyword Dominican, I'd be excited to see all the matches you'll, you'll get from teachers whose students are... Are uh, are are uh, primarily from the Dominican Republic, and, and probably even some projects uh, that focus on on teaching the the culture or history of the Dominican Republic. Oh well, I have to have a look. Hmm. That's impressive. Oh well, it's it's a, it's a testament to uh, the dedication of the teachers who use our site. Well, I might go. I might go and make a, a better donation. Um, cool. Is there um, anything else you want to talk about? I think, oh, sorry, one last thing. Yes, uh, given the um, the uh, members of your audience who are affiliate marketers, DonorsChoose.org is set up as, um, we're instrumented in Commission Junction as a potential affiliate partner. So if a third-party site wants to um, drive um, uh, traffic to our site, and this could just be a general shout out promotion of donorschoose.org or it could be a really smart one using our API where uh, a website all about yoga might want to create a little widget uh, pulling in classroom project requests uh, that center on yoga or um, you know you, you get the idea that using our API a third party site can can feature classroom project requests 
fitting any set of criteria. And if um, uh, actual donations are, are generated from that third-party website's promotion of DonorsChoose.org or, or featuring of individual classroom project requests on our site, we're able to, to make a, uh, an affiliate or a referral payment to the to that third party site, we we do it out of our operating budget, not out of the actual donations that are generated, um, and uh, we're we're able to do four percent uh, uh, cash or or ten percent donorschoose.org dollars if there's an affiliate partner who who uh, who wants to get their compensation in the form of philanthropic dollars. Uh, so hopefully that that'll be some some food for thought for some of your audience members. You're a little bit too slick for me, my friend. You um, no. <laughs> you have everything everything worked out here. Um, no, we we are making a lot of mistakes and learning as we go. Yeah, well, I mean, you, you're talking to like a, the biggest, probably the biggest base of affiliate marketers you can reach. So, guys, um, do you have a web page um, where they, they can uh, explain to them about um, different options and they can get tracking links and sign up? Yeah, totally. CJ, but do you have like do you have you know extra materials and things you can give to them? Absolutely. One one place to start is for an affiliate uh, partner who's looking to do something really creative to, to actually show. Um, basically, we'd love to see someone create Google AdSense from DonorsChoose.org projects. In other words, targeting classroom project requests in the ad real estate area, which are topically and geographically uh, targeted to the content on the page. And, and we just think that there's so much affiliate potential there that, that right now is really untapped. And so for any folks who want to kind of explore the possibilities, donorschoose.org slash API will, will um, give someone the tools they need to uh, pull out classroom project requests uh, uh, from our site onto a third-party site. And then CJ, as you mentioned, is the, the place to, um, to apply to be an affiliate partner and to get um, instrumented and set up. And then, of course, just reaching out to us, and we would um, be really excited to um, – this is a, 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 an experimental program for us, and, and we are happy to invest some face-to-face, -face, you know, hand-holding time in, uh, in helping to get any, you know, promising affiliate partners set up uh, and, and uh, best customized. <laughs> and so what you're offering here is a chance for a guy to um, drive traffic to you um, and do some, some, like, social good, but at the same time, they can make a ton of money. That's exactly right. <laughs> All right. So uh, have fun with that, guys. I think you'll probably get a couple of takers. Um, I hope so. <laughs> All right. Is there anything else? No, this was just really fantastic set of questions, and, and it was just awesome. I, I really thank you, Adrian. I really appreciate it. I appreciate your time. Thank you. Take care.